If you, if you wouldn't mind, just remain standing with me as I read this text, and I'll, I'll get to my exhortation here in a little bit. The text is Matthew chapter 17, verses 14 through 21. That is Matthew chapter 17, verses 14 through 21. And I'm reading from the New King James Version. And when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him, saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him and the child was cured from that very same hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out. So Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, let me repeat that one more time, because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as much as a mustard seed, say mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Uh, you may have your seats. You may have your seats. For the next few minutes, I want to talk to you from a sermon I've entitled, Use It or Lose It. Use It or Lose It. Let me take the opportunity really quick to make a brief announcement for those who are bringing donations as far as clothes for the Antioch Middle School. We're going to ask you, there is, a, there is a table right out to the back. As soon as you exit these doors, there's a table out to the back and to the left. Uh, please feel free to leave your donations there. Use it or lose it. I want to ask every uh, woman in here, whether you have birthed a child or you have helped to contribute to raise a child, I want to ask all the women in here to please stand. And everybody else, I want us to give these individuals a round of applause. You may have your seats, you may have your seats. I, I just pray, I, I know, I know uh, for some people they have a, a thing about days like these and you know, all the, all these things in the world, you know, uh, 
Uh, we need to be able to appreciate our mothers, our women every single day, and that's true. Uh, but at the same time, you know, we, we want to take the opportunity to honor our mothers, honor the women in our lives that have contributed in some way, form, or fashion uh, to making our lives better, uh, to contributing a little bit uh, in whatever way, form, or fashion, like I said before, into building us into who we are. Uh, I would not have been here but for the love of a mother. I would not have been here but for the love of a grandmother. I would not have been here but for the love of aunts. I would not have been here but for the love of teachers. Uh, I would have not have been here but for the love of many individuals who would have just stand, stood uh, a moment ago. And so I just want to say thank you on behalf of all the men. Uh, I want to say thank you, ladies. Thank you, women. Thank you, mothers, uh, for all that you have done and all that you continue to do. Uh, this is not going to be a traditional Mother's Day sermon. Uh, I don't think I've ever preached a traditional Mother's Day sermon in my entire life, but nonetheless, I believe there is good application here uh, as we think about the value of a mother, particularly a woman of faith. Uh, among the synoptic gospels, that is the gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, each author takes the time to share something concerning this particular text that we would have read in the book of Matthew. Uh, each account, though clearly dealing with the same situ situation and scenario, it treats with this situation from differing angles with differing purposes in mind. And so my purpose on this morning for a brief time, uh, and that's not Caribbean time, if anything at all, that might be Antioch time. So. Uh, for a brief time, I want to look at this text, and I have one purpose, one goal, and one main point that I want to try to drive home by the end of this exhortation. As we look at our text very quickly in, in outline form, I, I want to put this together in one sentence. We, we find a father who brings his son to Jesus after taking him to disciples who could do nothing to help him. And I know we have a lot of uh, intricate de details in the text about what he suffered with and all that kind of stuff, but simply recognize in the synopsis uh, and a short uh, uh, view of the text, it simply describes a father who had a son with a problem, who brought his son to the disciples of Jesus, who could do nothing to help, and so G this man now has to bring his son to Jesus. Uh, so I want us to see very quickly, almost immediately, that there is an apparent problem in the text that is glaringly obvious, and at the same time, there is a sense of ambiguity to this text. The obvious that we find in the text, number one, is that there is a faith problem. However, the ambiguity in the text is that we don't quite know exactly from simply uh, a quick glance, we don't know exactly who had necessarily the faith problem is is Jesus talking to the disciples or is he talking to the man is Jesus talking simply to those in, in in front of him or is he referring to something more so even though we recognize that there is a clear distinction a clear apparent problem that is a problem of faith we also recognize that there is some sense of ambiguity in the text in verse number 17 if you're there Jesus would say oh faithless and perverse generation. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear up with you? 
Who exactly is Jesus referring to or, or talking about? Is he talking about the faith of the parent, as I said before? Is he referring to the faith or the lack of faith thereof of his disciples themselves? There are some words in this text I want us to pay close attention to uh, in the early portion of our reading. Number one, the word faithlessness. I want us to pay attention to that, but also number two, the word perverse. Faithlessness there, the, the Greek word apistos, it, it, it simply means without confidence in anyone or one who lacks faith, one who is unfaithful or one who is driven to a place of becoming unbelieving. It does not mean that this individual may at one point not have had faith themselves. It does not mean that this person did not have a form of belief, but something along the way, something pushed them moving from a place of faithfulness to now one that is faithless, apistos. But the second one I want us to keep in mind in this text, it's found right here in verse number 17 is the word perverse. And we're going to come back to another word in the end, but I want us to see these two things, faithless, apistos, and perverse. This word diastrophe in the Greek, it simply means to twist. And so you, you get these two words together and you begin to generate a picture, maybe, of what is taking place in the text. But as we go a little bit further, I want us to see some individuals in this text. I want us to see... Firstly, the parent, that is the man, as he brings his son, he comes to church seeking a remedy, maybe as opposed to seeking relationship. And I know that's a huge leap on my part, but if in fact there is a faith crisis that has taken place within the confines of those who are in the presence of Jesus and if in fact the faith crisis at this point had to do somewhat with this man then please appreciate that maybe what's going on is that he's coming to Jesus looking for a remedy for something that is physical but didn't really realize that there was something deeper that needed remedying. Uh, oftentimes we come to Jesus for remedies for the physical things, not really realizing that it's the relationship that makes all the difference in the world. Uh, and so maybe as we see this man, maybe as we see this parent, we find someone who is so overwhelmed, who is so frustrated, who has done everything possible and he cares so much for the well-being of his child that he is not so much uh, thinking about relationship in as much as he just wants his son to get better. Uh, sometimes if, if you have parented for quite some time, uh, if you have raised children, if you have uh, fed uh, into people, sometimes you become so engrossed in people's problems that you want to remedy things, you want change, you want them uh, to, to do better and to be better, and sometimes you will do anything and everything to make sure that their circumstance changes. So maybe as I look at this parent, he may have lost a little bit of focus to the extent that all he is seeing is the physical adversity that his child is going through, not really realizing that there is something deeper that his child needed from Jesus. So here, is, here it is. Maybe as we look at this parent, we see one who comes to Jesus looking only for a remedy, but not really caring too much about relationship. 
I'll tell you why that's important, because if you only look to Jesus to remedy physical things, then sometimes when he doesn't deal and treat with the physical things immediately, it puts you in a place of doubt. When you come to Jesus, and you know how we do those prayers sometimes, Lord, bless me because I'm going through this trial. Lord, bless me because I'm going through this difficulty. Lord, bless me because I'm going through this distress. God, I'm in this thing. And sometimes even in our prayer lives, when God doesn't respond immediately when we want or even how we want it, all of a sudden, we begin to have a faith problem. But that's because maybe we have begun to focus so much on the external things, not really realizing what truly is at stake. You guys there with me? Not only do we see the parent in this scenario, but we also see the disciples of Jesus Christ. If Jesus is referring to the disciples as far as a faithless and perverse generation, then, then here's what I, I, I want to I wanna probably see in the text, and I hope you see it as well. Maybe... The reason why they couldn't do anything is because they had grown so confident in their ability to cast out demons that they forgot the source of their power and ability to begin with. It wasn't too long ago, if you go back into the book of Matthew, that Jesus would have given his disciples the ability and the power to cast out demons and to do miraculous work. So, so maybe in the process of them exercising their ability and exorcising demons, maybe they began to become so self-confident that they lost true confidence in the one who gave them the ability to begin with. In other words, if I had to put it a different way, maybe it became all about their power and not Jesus' power. Uh, you, you, you're not hearing me on this. Maybe sometimes in life we, 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 we grow so confident in our own ability to change our circumstance and the circumstance of others that we neglect the one who truly gives us the ability to overcome. So maybe, maybe, just maybe it wasn't just about the parent, but also maybe it had to do with the disciples that their focus had now turned inwardly and not no longer upwardly. Maybe they started to look and become confident in self as opposed to becoming confident and being confident in Almighty God. Nonetheless, the trouble in our text is faithlessness. But, but here it is. Here's, here's the treatment. As we think about faith, well, look this, in order for faith to do the impossible, it has to be planted. Let me repeat that one more time. In order for faith to do the impossible things, that faith has to be planted. Faith is not just something to have and to hold on to, but true faith, the type of faith that Jesus is describing here is, is something that is used. In other words, you don't just have faith. Well, I have faith. No, no, no. We, we know you have faith when your faith is put to good use. We know you have faith when your faith is planted in situations that you encounter in life. Look. Like, Look at this really quickly with me. I promise you I have four pages and I'm already on page number three. Look, 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 look at this really quickly with me. In, in verses number 19 and 20 and 21, watch this. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately saying this, why could we not cast out the demon? So Jesus said to them, because of your 
unbelief. Look at that word. For assuredly I say to you, if you have faith, he didn't say had faith. He said if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. Is that in your Bibles? Did your Bible say nothing shall be or will be impossible for you if you have faith as a mustard seed? Did, did your Bible say that? It doesn't matter if you read it in King James. It doesn't matter if you read it in the New American Standard. It doesn't matter. The, 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 the consensus is this. If you have this certain type of faith, nothing will be impossible for the child of God. It's not in my notes, so I hope this doesn't trip up Maria Elena. Jesus is using a language or a, a convention of language that he often uses that oftentimes baffle the masses because he's using what is called hyperbolic language. The idea of hyperbolic language is to use a series of exaggerations to make some very simplistic points. So case in point, when Jesus said, if your right hand offends you, cut it off, that's hyperbolic language, or is it? When Jesus says, if your right eye offends you, pluck it out, that's hyperbolic language, or is it? When Jesus says, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be removed, and it will be removed from here to there, for nothing shall be impossible. That's hyperbolic language, or is it? Is it simply a convention of language, or is he using this type of language to convey a very strong, real, although simple point? What's the point when he says, if your right hand offends you, cut it off? What's the point that he's, he is making when he says, if your right eye offends you, pluck it off? What's the point? Don't let nothing come between you and your salvation. What's the point he is making when he says, if you have faith as, uh, not, not as little, but if you have faith as a mustard seed. We kind of put in little there because of the sign. But he says, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to any mountain, be removed. You, 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 you probably missed that. If you have faith as a mustard seed, you could say to any one of your mountains, be removed, and it will move. There is no giant, if you have mustard seed faith, that is going to stand in your presence. There is no army, if you have mustard seed faith, that could be victorious over you. There is no trouble, if you have mustard seed faith, look at me and look at me well, that could overwhelm you. There is nothing in this world that you, you and I can deal with if we have mustard seed faith. For nothing will be impossible for you and I, for all those who believe in Jesus, if we have a mustard seed type, must stick that word in there, a mustard seed type of faith. So he says, because of your unbelief, what unbelief, Jesus? Did they not already know who, that Jesus was real? Didn't they already cast out demons and do miracles? So, so how could unbelief be the issue for a bunch of would-be believers? I promise you we'll deal a little bit more with this text from a different platform on next week, but I want to deal with this text on, on today. Just keep that in mind. Number one, most people's confidence takes a hit. After they fail in something they once did. Andrew, I wasn't going to do this. It just came to mind. The Holy Spirit just put it in my mind. It was about two years ago, almost to the date, uh, during the course of, of, of fusion, uh, we, we, we went to the, well, not we, but, you know, took the kids to the, the, 
uh, trampoline park. He already knew I'm going to this. He said, oh my goodness. Maybe three years ago, he would have flipped 10 times with no issue. Maybe three and a half years ago, he would have flipped 15 times with no issue. But on this time, two years ago, he flipped one too many times and there was an issue. Fell on his neck. Confidence after that took a hit. But, but, but watch how it works. If he does do it again in the future, he'll probably do it once, stick the landing, and that's going to be it. He probably won't tempt faith anymore. When I was but five years younger, I would run with these guys and not have to worry about pulling a muscle. I'll be 38 here in just a few weeks. I'm not going to even attempt to run a 100-meter dash with any one of these young guys here because at one point in time, about four years ago, my confidence took a hit because the thing I was accustomed to doing, I realized I was no longer able to do. Watch me and watch me well. Sometimes we might be accustomed to seeing results when we ask for results. But the one time we don't necessarily get the type of results we want when we want it, sometimes our confidence, our belief system takes just a little bit of a hit. That's natural because we are in the natural man. That's human because we are all human beings. It takes a hit. So maybe that's what is taking place here. And I need for us to appreciate it. The issue wasn't that there wasn't power. The issue wasn't that power was, was inaccessible. No, no, no. The, 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 the issue was that they were facing a challenge that apparently they, they didn't have immediate success with. Power is right around the corner. As a matter of fact, when the father comes and he is in the presence of Jesus, he's in the presence of power. But the issue that the disciples had was that they didn't, they didn't come across success in the immediate sense initially when they took when he took the son to the disciples. And sometimes, here it is, sometimes we, we need to appreciate this, that, that it's only through some patience and persistence and perseverance does our faith have the opportunity to work, not just in the short term, but in the long term. Many of us, if we're not careful, we, we like short-term faith. We like the 50-meter dash as opposed to the 100-meter, the 200-meter, the 400-meter, and the marathon. We like the short, the short burst type of faith. But what we need is longevity of faith. Say longevity. That's what we need. Look to the person and, and next to you and tell them, we need longevity. Oh, come say it with something. Say it like you mean it. Say we need longevity. We need longevity of faith. And, and so unbelief, unbelief, unbelief. I'm on my last page. Let me do this really quickly. How many of us have given up on things and on people because it didn't work out the way we thought it would or even when we thought it should? But here in our text, we, we find a secret that Jesus gives to his disciples and a secret that is very much applicable to us even today. Here is... Could I tell you the secret? 
Here is the secret church to the seed. Here is the secret to the seed. This analogy of equating faith with a mustard seed speaks to two very important things. And I'll give you this and we'll, we'll end our, our message. Number one, the quality of our faith or the quality of faith that we need to have is one that is implanted by the word of God itself. Repeat that one more time. The quality of faith that God expects of us to have comes by being implanted. It is implanted in us by the word of God itself. Paul would put it this way when he's writing to the brethren at Rome. For faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. If your faith is based on somebody simply telling you or your mother's or, or something like that, if you haven't searched the word of God for God to reveal to you who he is and reveal to, you who, reveal to us who you are, then that's a fickle faith at best. But God, Jesus is saying, I need for you to have a quality of faith that is implanted in you that came from the word of God. But number two, this implanted divine faith must be planted into every situation and every person we encounter. So it's not enough for that faith to be implanted in you. It's not enough for the faith to be planted in you. It's, but the faith that's planted in you has to be planted now in others and in every situation. The faith that God plants in us and transplants in us, this divine faith that comes by the word of God, needs to be planted in others as well as planted in every situation that you and I encounter. Let me show you this. Daniel, come up here really quick. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be done with this illustration. Watch this really, really quick. I, I said to you at the beginning, we had some words you wanted to look at. Number one, the first word was faithlessness. And the second word was, 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 was twistedness. This, the, the, the third word that we find in verse number 17 when he said, oh, faithless and perverse. The third word in that sentence is generation. This is going to become key. Let me, let me show you why mothers are so important. When Paul is... Is, is writing to the young evangelist Timothy, he says, Timothy, I, upon every remembrance of you, what I recall is not just you, but what I recall is a faith that existed first in your grandmother, Lewis. I, I wish somebody would help me with this. It didn't start with you. I'm, I'm proud of you, young Timothy. You're, you're my protege. You're my son in the faith. But, but this faith that you now have, this divine faith, didn't just start with you. It started way back with your grandmother. And your grandmother took the divine seed because the divine seed, when it's implanted in you, has to be implanted in others in every situation. You, you want to know sometimes when it is you didn't have food or you didn't have money and you listen to your mother or your grandmother singing praise and with a smile on her face, it's because she was applying divine faith to situations. Let me show you how this works. So it didn't start with just you, young Timothy. It started all the way back with your grandmother, but it was planted in your mother and now it's implanted in you so what's the response could you follow the trend if it started with lewis and it was transplanted into eunice and it's now planted into you timothy what's the responsibility that you have to plant it in somebody else so it's not something to just have and to hold you gotta plant a seed for the seed to grow the issue is not how small it's never about quantity in the text 
The issue is the quality or the type of faith that you and I ought to have. You, you, you guys ready for me to wrap this up? Watch this, watch this, watch this, watch this. So, 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 so he says it's, it's not about the, the quantity, but it's the quality. Say quality. Because what that tells me, let me be done. Sit down, bro. I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. Let me, let me be done. I, I, I want you to see this. I want you to see this. I'm not going to ask you to stand. Give me two more minutes. I want you to see this. Let me show you why the quality of faith or the type of faith is so important. In the text, Jesus told them, listen, the reason why you couldn't cast out the demon to begin with was because of faithlessness. But if you have mustard seed type faith, the same way you could say to the mountain, be removed, nothing will be impossible. But then he goes on to say, however. You read that in the text, right? So I'm saying to you, nothing is impossible for you if you have that type or quality of faith, you could say to this mountain, be removed. It's almost like an immediate type of text. But then he says, however, this type of demon, I wish I had somebody, this type of spirit, this type of trouble is only dealt with by prayer and fasting. Don't miss this. Well, Brother Morgan, do we need to do prayer and fasting in the church today? It's, it's a good recommendation. I want to rec recommend it to you. It's not a requirement, but I want to recommend to you that the scripture tells us that there are some things you can't overcome right here immediately in the moment. There are some things you have to take some time, effort, and energy to put yourself in a state of prayer and put yourself in a state of mourning to get the answers that you need. Because there are some demons. There are some spirits. There are some situations that only are overcome by means, church, of prayer and fasting. So you need this type of faith because it's only this type of faith that is going to be useful in times of dealing with those types of situations, those types of demons, those types of characteristics, those types of people. You need mustard seed faith. To deal with that type of stuff if you have shallow faith that's all well and good because if somebody bunks your car you still come to church on a Sunday and sing hymns maybe with a frown on your face but when you have mustard seed type of faith your house will burn down and you will come and sing praises to God if you have shallow faith you, somebody might spill a drink on your shirt and you might still come even though with a frown and you might sing some praises to God on a Sunday morning but when you have mustard seed type of faith they could take your spouse they could take your kids it doesn't matter what they do to you you will still stand firm in Almighty God, mustard seed type of faith. So let me be done. If you don't use mustard seed faith, no wonder a generation will continue to go down the tubes. The issue of the generational problem it's not just with those people that are 25 years and younger. The issue of a generational problem is very similar to when Paul shows the generational blessing of Timothy's grandmother into his mother, into him. If you want to change the new and future generations, it has to start with the oldest generation. I wish I had some older folks to say amen to this. If you want to change this 2023 generation, it has to start with the eldest of us. 
that we need to have a divine faith that is centered and, uh, and, and the core is God. We, we need to have a faith that is, 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 is centered on the word of God and we need to impart that into our children. They need to take that now and impart it into their children. And, and here are we, the, the 30-year-olds and the soon-to-be 30-year-olds that will take that faith and implant it into these young 20-year-olds. And here are these 20-year-olds that will now implant it into the teenagers. I'm telling you, if we don't use it, that's why we're losing it. So I want to encourage us to understand the importance of implanting a divine faith. Of allowing God to, to implant divine faith in you. So that you can impact those who are coming thereafter. Look to the person next to you. I'm done. Look to the person, say, look to the person next to you and say, use it. Come on, preach with me. Use it. Come on, preach with me. Use it. Or will you lose them? Let's sing our song of invitation.